Hey guys, welcome to episode 30.5 or episode six of Myth and Monsters. So episode 30.5 of Eat, Drink, Ride, and Urban Fantasy Whiteboard, but it's episode six of Myths and Monsters because it's the last day of the month. Holy cow. I know. I feel like all the months are flying by right now. And that this is episode number six. That means we've done this for six months. That's insane. I know. That's it's crazy. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. It doesn't, but I love doing it. I have a really good time. So myths and monsters, I guess, I don't remember whose turn it is to go first. Do you want to start? I can. Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so I'm drinking. <laughs> And we've been sitting here chatting before we started recording for probably 30 minutes. Yeah, about 30 minutes. I've already had a drink. Yeah. So I was saying that I might ought to go first because I may not be able to speak by the time we get to the end. But um, I really can't wait to hear what you have to say. And I'm excited about mine, too. Okie dokie. Well, then I will, I will start out and hopefully you're still coherent by the end of it. Okay. Um, I am doing skinwalkers. Ooh. Yeah. So skinwalkers, I feel like um, they, it pops up in popular culture a lot of the time. It's been in a lot of TV shows like uh, The Outsider by Stephen King, for example. Um, I'm sure it's been talked about in Supernatural. Um, they get mentioned in the Mercy Thompson series. Um, mm -hmm. but while she is not a skinwalker, they do mention skinwalkers in passing. And so there's, you know, I just figured it'd be really interesting. Also, uh, my girlfriend, Sydney, uh, suggests that I do this, and she is Cherokee, which is not the tribe that has these tales, but she suggested doing it and thought it would be a good idea, so. You, you do realize you're Cherokee as well, don't you? She's more Cherokee than I am. <laughs> well, that doesn't take much, but your father, his family is Cherokee, so you're, you're about one mm, eighteenth Cherokee? Bless. Does that even count? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but that Cherokee blood is strong. Your coloring and your father's coloring and all along his his father, Papa actually really looked like an Indian. He did look. He did yeah. look very Native American. Very yeah. American. So uh, anyway, so yeah. you're Cherokee too. I am. I got the nice tanning. That's Sydney West. That's cool. Oh yeah, her. Um, yeah, she is. She. Uh, her family lives on the Cherokee reservation up in North Carolina. Wow, that's really Cherokee. Yeah, yeah. What, which side of her family, her mom or her dad? Her dad. Neat. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. Neat. Apparently her cousin is chief now. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, she's very much, very much uh, of the Native American blood. She's at least half, so. <laughs> very nice. I'm very curious to hear about skinwalkers. Yeah. So in Navajo mythology, it's an evil person who has the ability to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as an animal. And the, the way that this term skinwalker came about is, you know, they wear the skins and sometimes the skulls or the antlers of their chosen creatures that they want to turn into. Um, and that's where that term came from. But also like the, the Navajo word itself for uh, this creature literally translates to with it, he goes on all fours. So I'm assuming, you know, like with that skin he goes on all fours. Okay. And so that's kind of where the term comes from. The Navajo don't like to discuss the skinwalker with outsiders and strangers and sometimes not even amongst themselves and there's a couple of reasons that that could be 
Some say that it's because skinwalkers can walk among them in human form and may exact revenge on anybody who speaks of them. And then others say that speaking of the malevolent beings is not only bad luck, but it makes their appearance all the more likely. So if you talk about them, the more likely they are to show up in your um, community and in general, I think. That's like not saying Voldemort because, you know, there's, right. I think that that idea is very common. Don't say the word, don't think about it because it might make them come. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad I'm talking about it a lot today. Um, <laughs> you got your cat to protect you. Oh, he, no, he's a chicken hunter. <laughs> he's very sweet, but he is not a, not a guard cat. <laughs> so these, these, Skinwalkers, they can be either male or female, but they typically like tend to be more uh, on the male side. So they typically more males are, are skinwalkers. Um, other Native American tribes also have their own legends and stories of the skinwalker, but it's become popularized as a Navajo story. So like mostly when you hear a skinwalker, it's usually the Navajo tribe that it's associated with. Some traditions believe that skinwalkers are born of a benevolent medicine man who abuses um, the magic for evil. So basically they choose to use it for harm or to inflict pain. And that sends them down the path of like turning them into a skinwalker. Wow. Yeah. So the, the medicine man then would be like given mythical powers of evil that vary from tradition to tradition. So it depends on like what tribe is, is talking about it. Um, but the power all traditions mention is the ability to turn into or possess an animal or person. So that's kind of like the, the baseline, like that's something that all of those stories kind of share in common. The skinwalkers are described as being mostly animalistic physically, even when they're in human form, which I think is just creepy. Um, mm -hmm. They're reportedly near impossible to kill except with a bullet or knife dipped in white ash. And I know that that legend has yeah. been used in um, TV shows and books and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I know for sure there was one, what was it? The Vampire Diaries use it and it had to be dipped in white ash to kill an original yes. or something. Yes. It's been a while since I've seen that show, so I don't remember exactly, but I know that that was one, one thing to kill a, a really old vampire, one of the, one of the originals. I don't remember. Well, and the ash tree is supposed to be a mystical tree as well. Right. So interesting. Yeah. So. As I was researching this, I remembered, you know, there was a um, podcast episode in And That's Why We Drink where they covered Skinwalker Ranch. Um, and I, it's, it's a popular story where it's like, if you're talking about skinwalkers and this ranch is going to come up, if you type in Skinwalker into Google, this ranch comes up, this story comes up. It's super popular. Um, so I feel like I'd be wrong to not at least mention it and talk about it a little bit. So this place, Skinwalker Ranch, was owned by a couple named Terry and Gwen Sherman. Um, so it used to be called... Sherman Ranch, and they observed UFOs of varying sizes hovering above their property. And as I was think, as I was reading this, I was like, UFOs doesn't really coincide with what I would think of as a as a skinwalker story. Um, but it gets it gets more interesting. So more interesting than UFOs. Seven of their cows died after they saw these UFOs. They either died or disappeared. So one was reportedly found with a hole cut into the center of its left eyeball, which is just horrendous. That's terrible. I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> and uh, so, and then the ones that they did find dead were both surrounded by an odd chemical smell. And I couldn't find anything about what that chemical smell actually smelled like. But that's, that's what they said is that there was a, a weird smell around them and it was more chemical in nature than okay. anything else. One cow was found dead in a clump of trees and the branches above it had appeared to have been cut off. 
and that's in a tree. So like, I don't know how tall that was. It didn't say, but it just seemed very strange to me. Was the cow in the tree or under the tree? It was found dead in a clump of trees. So I don't know. But the branches, like it could have fallen through the trees. That's kind of what it like sounds like because the branches above appeared to have been cut off. So I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you. That's weird. I have no idea. Yeah. Creepy. Um, one of, yeah. And then one of the cows that vanished that just up and disappeared, like they didn't find its body. They found nothing about it. Um, left tracks in the snow that suddenly stopped. And, you know, the, the guy who owned the ranch, Terry, um, was like, you know, a cow can't just stop in snow and not leave tracks. You know, they can't keep going forward. There would still be tracks. Um, and a cow doesn't also walk backwards exactly in its, yeah. its tracks. It just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work yeah. that way. It's like, like they were missing a cow. So they have no idea what happened to that cow. It just, it just up and vanished. Its tracks stopped in the snow and they don't know where it went. Terry heard voices while walking his dogs late one night and he reported that the voices spoke in a language he didn't recognize and he said that they sounded close enough that he should be able to see them, but he didn't. Um, he said it was maybe like 25 feet away, which isn't that far if you think about it. And uh, he couldn't see anyone. And granted, it was nighttime, so maybe it was just dark. Maybe it was, it was nighttime or daytime. Yeah, it says he was, he was walking his dogs one night. So I'm assuming one it was night. dark outside, yeah. Um, and honestly, in my head, I can't quite picture how far away, like 25 feet, like if I could see that far in the dark, I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this couple decided to sell the ranch, which I do not blame them. Um, <laughs> it was bought by a UFO enthusiast in 1996. Um, he established the National Institute for Discovery of Science on the grounds and put up substantial surveillance. So he wanted to catch like evidence of what was happening here. On March 12th, uh, one of his employees, biochemist Dr. Colm Kelleher, um, spotted a large humanoid figure perched in a tree. Uh, he wrote a book about this, and it's called um, The Hunt for the Skinwalker. And he said that the creature was 20 feet off the ground and about 50 feet away. So he said, this large creature lay motionless, almost casually in the tree. The only indication of the beast's presence was the penetrating yellow light of the unblinking eyes as they stared fixedly into the light. That sounds like a cat of some kind, you know, like a panther or right. something. Right, right. And, you know, he doesn't really say here, like I didn't find anything about how big exactly it was other than it was, you know, humanoid and kind of, you know, just large and that kind of thing. Um, that's creepy. I, I know. Can you imagine like walking outside at like Granny's house or something and seeing a humanoid creature just like perched in one of the trees out by the barn? Like, <laughs> I don't know what I would do. I honestly don't know what I would do. I would convince, I, I guarantee I would convince myself that it was like a trick of the light and I'd be like, huh, that's weird and turn right back around and go back inside. <laughs> now, knowing me, I would go, huh, it's a trick for the, of the light. Let's go see what it is. <laughs> You would be the first one to die in a horror movie. I I would be the, well, I'm blonde, so, you know, Fair that's enough. usually, you know, the first one. I didn't inherit that, that blonde trait. No, you got your father's dark side. Oh, the dark side. Oh, the dark side. <laughs> you did get your father's dark side. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, so apparently this guy uh, who saw this creature fired at the supposed skinwalker with 
um, with a rifle, but it fled. And so he went to go and like kind of investigate what, what was left behind. And he said it well, left claw marks. Wouldn't you run if someone was shooting at you too? Well, why, absolutely. Why did he shoot first? It had glowy yellow eyes. I don't know. I, don't, I have blue eyes. I mean, <laughs> I, that's just, I would want to go and talk to it and say, you know, what are you or hey, and see what it is. That's how you get eaten and a I, hole taken out of your left eye. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> You're not wrong. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> um, so he said it left behind claw marks and imprints on the ground. And he described the evidence as signs of a bird of prey, uh, like a raptor print, um, but huge. And from the depth of the print, a very heavy creature. So, Are there pictures of these things? I mean, this is recent. So I probably should have looked it up and I did not. But Maybe if you find some, we can post it on our website. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, I bet what I'm going to find, though, is like uh, like drawings of them and stuff. Maybe. Because, uh, you know, I, I have more here that kind of goes on to say, like, they don't actually have solid evidence. Well, and at that time, there were no cell phones. 1996, you said? Yeah. Yeah, 96. Yeah, so no cell phones yet. Right. Yeah, I was so three years old. <laughs> Yeah, you were a baby. Yeah, it's not like at that point in time people walked around with cameras hanging around their neck like we all do now with our cell phones. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and so that whole incident of seeing the thing in the tree um, was a few days after the ranch manager and his wife had just tagged a calf and their dog began acting very strangely like pretty soon after that. Um, so they went and followed the dog about 45 minutes later. And in the field, in broad daylight, they found the calf and its body cavity empty, but there was no blood around it. Oh, so, no. Yeah, so, and it's, it's weird because, you know, if an animal got it or something like that, there'd be blood all over the place. Everywhere, yeah. Right, but it was, uh, there was no blood around it, so they thought that was very strange. Um, and that kind of activity continued on into that summer. So these folks had over 100 incidents and encounters with this creature, but they couldn't get any solid evidence. Um, and they tried to kind of, you know, write a scientific report on it, but like no credible journal was going to take, take yeah. their, their evidence because they didn't, they didn't really have any. Yeah. Um, so the ranch was sold again in 2016. Uh, so they stayed with that ranch for a decent amount of time. Um, and there are still strange accounts by people who work there today, but again, there still isn't any solid evidence. So despite putting up like infrared cameras and doing like all of this stuff to try to catch evidence of what's happening, um, the most uh, prevalent form of evidence is still personal accounts. Interesting, because um, now, you know, 2016 is that there were cell phones at that point and right. you know security cameras that you could put out motion detectors and that kind of stuff right and yeah so super interesting and one of the things that people say that they uh experience most of the time is when they're driving toward the ranch they'll hear a voice in their car with them and it'll say you know turn around leave go back something something along those lines that and there was one guy who, i know i know and there was one guy who said that he stopped when he heard this voice and, um, you know, looked out his window and brought out a, a, a light to see if he could see anything. And there was nothing there. Like he didn't see anything. Um, so M and Christine from, and that's why we drink, did this story. I believe so. Um, it's like in the seventies episode. I haven't, like, I haven't gotten that far into it yet. We just discovered them after you all told, told us about them, but 
I don't even know what I was going to say. Something about M. Okay. Well, M covered it. And oh, it sounds more like a ghost than it does a skinwalker. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, M covers it, and they go over, they do it way more in depth than um, I'm doing here. I am not doing this story any justice, uh, but there is a new TV show out about it. Um, but I think if I didn't mention it, then it'd be, it'd be weird because it's a, it's one of the biggest, uh, is that a skinwalker story kind of thing. Um, I mean, what made them think that that was a skinwalker? Because that doesn't sound like what I would associate, you know, from my reading of urban fantasy, that that's not how I think of a skinwalker. I mean, the, the creature in the tree does. And if the creature in the tree, you know, and he heard the voice outside at night while he was walking his dogs and if it's a shapeshifter then it could disguise its voice or it could be talking to them it could be a person um and then you know it's it's also going after cattle and and that kind of thing i don't know i i couldn't tell you but because in my chupacabra story there they went after cattle but there was blood i believe at all of those scenes it wasn't it wasn't like what you've got interesting right right yeah, I think it's mostly, I think it's mostly like the fact that the creature that people keep seeing is humanoid in shape. And then just like when they go to investigate what was there, uh, it's, you know, left behind the claw marks and the, the weird shaped footprints that were super large and heavy and, um, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's kind of what, what gets them on being like, oh, well, it's a, it's a skinwalker because. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Okay. I think it'd be interesting to visit this ranch, but I'm probably never going to. <laughs> Uh, you are no fun. Okay, guys. So we, we went on vacation in North Carolina, and I wanted to go randonauting so that we could film it and and have that be uh, an episode for our podcast. But no, I don't feel like getting murdered. I'm only 26. I mean, good point. <laughs> I can get murdered when I'm like 92. How about that? <laughs> We'll we'll go out. Let's see. I have if I'm 92, how old will you be? I can't do that math right now. We can wait until we're we're really well. I'm already old. I I want to go do these things. <laughs> uh yeah, but not. I don't want to go into like random woods and and I don't. I'm not. I don't want to get murdered. I'd rather not get murdered. I'm just really curious. I I am also curious, but not enough to be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. So the ranch was sold again in 2016, but they were still strange accounts. There are a lot of skinwalker stories on sites like Reddit too, where people talk about their own accounts of encountering skinwalkers. Um, and they all share the same type of thing, which is they see a four-legged beast with a disturbingly human, albeit marred face, which and is. orange-red glowing eyes. They were also fast and made hellish noises. And that's the skinwalker. That is so interesting. Have you watched The Order? I have not. Sydney has watched it. Yeah. So the werewolves, they're werewolves, which is not the same thing as skinwalkers, but they become a werewolf by putting on a, a hide, which is skinwalker lore. Right. So that's very interesting. That is a new Netflix. Well, it's season two just came out. And so oh, yeah. I just finished watching season two of that. But that to me is, you know, Skinwalker is where you actually put on the skin. And I think in the Mercy Thompson series, 
Isn't that what skinwalkers are in that too? They actually put on a hide and then take on the form of the animal. And yeah, then, which is, you know, something I, I mentioned that earlier where they can, they wear either the, the skin of the creature that they want to be, or they can wear its skulls or the antlers um, in order to take that creature's shape. Yeah. And then the yellow, Jane Yellow Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't she, she doesn't she put on does, yeah, does she? Does she doesn't she? put on a skin, but she, it's kind of the, um, they kind of go into the science of it and they uh, say that it's, you know, she uses the DNA of a creature, so she does need a part of it, like a feather or like, you know, something like that, like fur or something in order to change into that shape. Yeah, that's another series. I, I've only read the first book so far. I think the first one, we listened to it on the way to go visit Courtney, didn't we? We listened to part of it at least. Yeah, that excellent story. And I like, it's a twist on what we all know, uh, what we all know about skinwalkers or shapeshifters or right. I, that's fascinating. Yeah. I could talk for hours about that. That's awesome. It's super interesting. I also think it's interesting that they're more likely to show up if you talk about them. Like, you know, cause that's another thing you, I wouldn't expect that of like a person who puts on a hide and shapeshifts into something. Like, I don't expect them to just appear if you talk about them, you know? In, in fact, you would think the opposite. They don't want to be discovered, so they would stay away from someone who's getting close to the truth. I right. think the Dresden Files um, books, one of them had skinwalkers in it. I'm almost positive. I haven't read those. I need they, to. Oh, they're fantastic. I've only gotten... I don't know, four or five into them, and there's lots of them. And we actually got to meet that author um, yeah. at, at DragonCon. Was it DragonCon? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. He has blue yeah. hair, or he did. He had blue hair. He, at he did at DragonCon anyway. <laughs> yeah, that was not something I was expecting from him, but that was, he was really cool. Yeah. So I think your father got his autograph on a book. I'm not sure. And like, a fist bump. And a fist bump. They fist bumped. <laughs> well, are you ready for my story today? Please tell me about this story. Okay, so this is fascinating to me. I'm very excited about it. So we all know about the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Triangle over off of Japan. Yeah. But did you know there is also an Alaskan Triangle? I did not, and I'm I'm super curious about this because I've been to Alaska and I've been to a lot of places in Alaska. So I'm I'm curious about like where exactly this triangle is and like what what kind of stuff happens. It is fascinating. I had no idea. It's the Alaska Triangle, sometimes called Alaska's Bermuda Triangle, because no one would associate until you put Bermuda Triangle into it. But right. it's in the untouched wilderness of Alaska, and people there go missing at an unusually high rate. Wow. So it connects the city of Anchorage, which is on the south, to Juneau, which is on the southeast panhandle. Pan, oh, Panhandle. This oh, yeah. is why I probably should have gone first. And then it goes all the way up to Barrow, which is the uh, town up on the north coast. So it makes this triangle. I'll have to post a map of it on the podcast, I mean, on our website. Yeah. Um, but it, it is some of North America's most unforgiving wilderness there. So I mean, you would kind of expect people to go missing. You've been there. You've hiked in in uh, Alaska. I almost died several times. It was great. Yeah, it's it's a very forbidding but beautiful, beautiful place. 
So this area began attracting public attention in October of 1972 when a small private plane carrying U.S. Majority Leader Hale Boggs and Alaskan Congressman Nick Begich, an aide, Russell Brown, and their Bush pilot, Don Johns. And it just seemingly vanished into thin air while flying from Anchorage, which is down here, uh, down to Juneau over here. Right. For more than a month, 50 civilian planes, 40 military aircraft, and dozens of boats covered a search area of 32,000 square miles, and they found no trace of the plane, the men, any wreckage, any debris, or anything. Wow. Did that plane not, when was that? Did the plane not have a black box that they could? 1972. So I think it was a small plane. You know, okay. just a, a passenger, a small passenger plane where, uh, I, since he was with the Alaskan congressman, I guess they were, they might have been going to hunt. I don't know what they were going to do, but right. it just disappeared without a trace. They've never found any of the wreckage, nothing, no debris. Oh, nothing. that's crazy. Like even still to this day. To this day. Wow. Okay. Since 1988, more than 16,000 people have disappeared in the Alaska Triangle. That is a missing person rate of more than twice the national average. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? In any given year, 500 to 2,000 people go missing in Alaska, never to be seen again, never to have any trace of them found again. Are these people like hikers that end up in the... Some of them, yeah. yeah. Okay. Authorities conduct hundreds of rescue missions, most often returning without finding the missing person or even any evidence of all of what, of what happened to them. Yeah. So there's lots of theories about what's going on in this triangular area. Yeah. And the first one is fascinating. It is supposed to be, one of the theories is that it is an evil shape-shifting demon of the Tlingit Indian lore called the kushtaka now when i was telling your sister riley about this 14 years old she's like mom are you pronouncing any of those words right <laughs> probably not but the kushtaka so that sounds familiar to me for some reason there are movies and things about it i have never heard of it physically the kushtaka are shapeshifters capable of assuming human form yeah. The foreman of, of an otter, and this is probably why you've heard of them, because they're most commonly known as the otter men. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Okay. And some stories say they can change into any shape. Right. Human, any animal, you know, a porcupine, whatever. Yeah. Their behavior, this is also contradictory. They have been thought to be cruel, delighting in tricking humans to their deaths. They have been thought to be friendly, helping, saving people from freezing to death. You know, those travelers out there that those hikers that get lost in this wilderness, they've right. been um, supposedly saving those people. Some stories say that they save lost individuals by luring them to safety with illusions. Ah, illusions of their family, illusions of whatever, and it draws the person towards those illusions. Yeah. Some say they transform these lost people into other kushtakas. Uh-huh, yeah. Some stories say that they imitate the cries of babies to lure their victims. 
I don't like that. I'm not going after a baby that's crying in the woods. Hell no. I know. And then they either kill them by tearing them to shreds or they change them into another kustaka. Right. Yikes. Lore has it that they can be warded off with copper, urine, dogs, and maybe fire. And maybe fire. (laughs) I like how how it's like you can lure them off with, uh, or like ward them off with urine, but like maybe, maybe fire. Just like maybe. (laughs) That's worth a shot. Um, Anne McCaffrey, who wrote the Dragons of Pern series, apparently wrote a a fiction called uh, the Twins of Pedabee series and the story Maelstrom which is book two of that series um, it features shape-shifting otters that refer to themselves as kushtakas so she obviously did her research and then put that in an urban fantasy setting in her books and she's famous she's an amazing writer if you haven't read the dragons of Pern, that's one of my favorite series there's um I mean there are the the otter Bay in the Mercy Thompson series, um, mm-hmm. and they can shapeshift into human-ish form. I don't think they look quite right as humans, but they can be. Yeah, didn't um, she see one in the Walmart? Yeah, 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 they came in like through the Walmart ceiling or something. I vaguely remember. I yeah, vaguely so. remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then there's a horror novel in the, set in Alaska called Kushtaka by David Pierre Domenico. Other than the Kushtaka being one of the theories, the next theory is aliens, which that seems to pop up everywhere. You remember the fourth kind, that movie that scared the bejeebus out of all of you. I did not like that movie. It was spooky. It was set in Alaska. Um, And the whole, the little blurb about that movie says a disproportionate number of of the population in and around Nome, Alaska have gone missing. Despite FBI investigations, the disappearances remain a mystery. Dr. Abigail Tyler, who was played by uh, Mila Jokovic, a psychologist, may be on the verge of blowing the unsolved cases wide open when during the course of treating her patients, she finds evidence of alien abductions. Yeah, it was a spooky movie. It was scary. And it's based on these disappearances that really happen there and you know it's just that's one of the theories about what is happening to all these people and why so many are going in that one area twice the whatever i said the number of yeah twice the national average in that one triangular area in alaska yeah i was a kid when i watched that movie and at the beginning of it i was young enough that when it said based on true events I was like, that means this entire movie is true. And it terrified me. And that's why it was so scary. (laughs) Yeah, it scared me too. And I was old. So yeah. (laughs) The next theory is energy vortexes. Okay. It's interesting. So all around the world, there's all these areas of energy vortexes. They're thought to affect humans in various physical, mental, and emotional ways. There's positive and negative vortexes. Positive vortexes supposedly spiral upward in a clockwise motion, enhancing the flow of energy. Supposed to be helpful with healing, meditation, creativity, self-exploration. Places that are supposedly have these positive vortexes are Stonehenge, the Sedona Desert, the 
Egyptian pyramids and various sacred temples all over the world. Fascinating. Yeah. There are negative ones which spiral downward in a counterclockwise motion, which drain or deplete the energy of people and anything in the vicinity. Yes. Believed to cause health problems, including depression, nightmares, disorientation, confusion, as well as hallucinations. They're also said to cause electrical instruments to malfunction. So the ah. Bermuda Triangle, the Japan's Devil's Sea, and Easter Island, where you hear these stories that, you know, the compasses start spinning, that is a sign of a negative energy vortex. I found that to be interesting because we, when we went to North Carolina, went to go to, um, what was the place called? Something Mystery Hill. Mystery Hill. And it had a room that had this odd gravitational, I'll have to post pictures on our website. It, you walk in the room and you can feel it. It was, it was an odd energy and it was like pulling you back and you had to, you could stand at a 45 degree angle. It was bizarre. It was super interesting. And, you know, I, I've done a little bit of reading about like places like that. Cause there is more than one place like mystery Hill. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's an optical illusion. And I was like, okay, I could kind of see that just based on the, how the room was set up. But also the room made me super dizzy. I felt like really dizzy and like just really like dragged down kind of thing. And so like, and, and the thing that really got me was that um, there wasn't just one point of gravity. It was, you were on the floor and you were being pulled down by like normal gravity, but also you're being pulled back. Yeah. Yeah. That it was bizarre, and the the ball that rolled uphill and the water that flowed uphill, those things I guess could somehow be optical illusions. But what I felt in that room, yeah, I there was something more there. I just wasn't in there seeing these things like a normal. I felt it. Right. Oh no, so, it was like there was something going on with yeah. like it made me dizzy and like very disoriented kind of thing. It yeah. was bizarre that it was, was absolutely bizarre so i kind of i understand what they're talking about with these energy vortexes and i suppose you know one of the theories for the um mystery hill was that there was uh, magnetic ore or something beneath the surface that yeah. made us feel that way which is possible and that's the next theory about why these people are going missing in alaska is magnetic anomalies I guess that would like mess up your compasses and stuff, right? And like all the equipment, yeah. It would, it would have that same effect. Electronic readings in Alaska have found large concentrations of magnetic anomalies, some of which have disrupted compasses to the point that they're off as much as 30 degrees. So instead of pointing north, it's off by 30 degrees, that, which is a lot. That is a lot. Um, search and rescue workers have reported having audio hallucinations, disorientation, and lightheadedness, which is how I felt in that room. And if yes. I don't know how long, if we had stayed in that room, would we start? Would we have started to hallucinate? I don't know. Maybe. Or it could be the Kushtaka who were making them see hallucinations. I don't know. Well, I and didn't then, see any otters at Mystery Hill, so. Yeah, this is true. And then the last theory is that it's just the wilderness. It's a huge untamed portion of Alaska and it's so dense. There are craggy mountain peaks. There's massive glaciers. There's hidden caves. 
where a plane could crash and be hidden from view of search planes just because of the right. terrain. Yeah. Not to mention like the wildlife there, like you could get run over by a moose, uh, yeah. you could get eaten by, by a bear, a it's bear. grizzly bears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so not, not uh, like black bears will leave you alone most of the time if you make enough noise and if, as long as it's not a mama bear, but like grizzly bears will come at you. I so. mean, and the weather, just the weather, the weather is enough that it, you know, you have avalanches, it's going to cover everything. You have snowfall that's going to cover any tracks or planes or whatever that have fallen. Right. Yeah. So whether this Alaska Triangle is the result of these natural perils or these energy vortexes or ancient evil spirits, the Kushtaka, it makes for great ideas for an urban fantasy story. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, what if the disappearances are due to ancient spirits that need to gather souls or blood to be able to return to Earth? What if yeah. they have to sacrifice a certain number of, of people? And this is the easiest place to do it because no one's going to question it. Right. What, what if, if uh, what if it was a Yeti? <laughs> what if it was a Yeti? <laughs> what if these areas are actual time portals? I mean, I used to study the Bermuda Triangle because I always found that fascinating. And I, I, you know, this, those movies and things that they made where it, you got teleported back in time. Um, what if these are time portals and these people are still out there? They're just lost in time somewhere. I mean, there's right. so many things that you can do with this for a, an urban fantasy story. The, the whole what if game with these things. Yeah, that that's a super interesting thing. I think it's I think it's interesting that I've never heard of it and I've been to Alaska. I've been to Anchorage, I've been to Alaska, I've been out in Alaskan wilderness and all that jazz. But uh no, I had never heard of that and I that's super, super cool. Yeah, I found it very fascinating. I was excited. I, I like our episode today. It was fun. I liked it too. I feel like we had a lot of good discussion in it. That's that was awesome. You had yeah. you had some really good facts in there. It was fun. Yeah, it was neat. So thanks guys for listening. This is just our little special treat for Myth and Monsters last day of the month. Um, and we will see you next time. Tuesday, there'll be a new episode. Yep. Cool. Thanks guys. All right. Thank you.